to diversify. I'm Holly. And I am Kate. And uh, this is all going very smoothly. So let's just let's just jump right in, shall we? Because there's no segue. We have had, I've realised, a mental health episode every single season. We finished season three without a mental health episode. So here we are with our bonus episode. <laughs> in lockdown, we were like, we can't, it's too much to do a mental health episode during lockdown. It would just be too intense. <laughs> yeah, but there's no jokes, no jokes in lockdown. Nothing was funny in lockdown, except that everything was funny in lockdown. So, illustrious guest, would you like to finally introduce yourself to us? So, my name is Rachel Evans. I specialize in helping people recover from eating disorders. I had an eating disorder myself, which is what inspired me now to work with people and help them recover. Just for context, I also experienced an eating disorder when I was growing up. So this is a really important uh, episode for me. Isn't it the number one mental health, like in in terms of mortality rates, it is the the biggest cause in all mental health? I think anorexia specifically is and also a big risk factor for suicide as well so in terms of like health consequences and people then passing away from that but also people choosing to take their own life because of it so really there are reasons why um yeah it could influence someone like that can you just sort of tell us a bit about what you do now? Yeah, so what I do now is I am a psychologist. I've got a PhD in the psychology of eating. And so I work with clients one-to-one to help them fully recover from an eating disorder. Um, it's really my passion to help people get to that place that they feel really stable to move on with their life. And I think for me, it's important to know that not one size fits all. So I'm always doing extra training, extra kind of skills. I could do hypnotherapy neuro-linguistic programming techniques to help clients leave those old beliefs in the past and kind of build this new identity as recovered and yeah I just love it. What would you define as recovered from an eating disorder? Yeah really good question I think different people define it differently somehow there's this line in the sand that you know you've recovered you've kind of made that choice that I'm never going back and obviously we can't know with 100% certainty but like I feel very sure like 99.9% that I'm not going to go back to those thoughts and behaviors like your life is opening up again and I think from that point it can keep getting better so you just might find that you get even more flexibility around foods or feel even better in your body going forward. So you don't have to go on another diet and maybe, but you know, you've got all the skills and the tools and the resources to not go back down that eating disorder path. I'd say that's the place that most of my clients want to get to. From my experience, because I had bulimia when I was mm-hmm. younger and occasional bouts of anorexia, but there are certain foods that I still am a bit wary of. I'm like, if I eat that, I'm going to feel uncomfortable afterwards. Do you think that's quite a normal thing for people who've recovered to be like, oh, okay, but I can't put myself in this situation because that will make me feel triggered or uncomfortable? I think you could still work through to some extent. If if it was like a big food group, you probably would get faced with fairly often, then it might be worth working through those things as well. But if it's something that doesn't come up too much, it's kind of your choice 
to work through and I think it's also learning to sit with and be okay with that feeling uncomfortable because sometimes as well I think your body remembers for example sometimes I've had times I've eaten a food that I used to binge on and then it's made me feel a bit sick because I had bulimia also and that's what would happen afterwards and so certain ones of those foods there are certain things there's certain soups that I am like do you know what I just do not want to eat that because it doesn't even taste nice to me in the first place anymore and I'm okay with that whereas other stuff like if it was bread or something like that that just easier in your life I think if you can eat that <laughs> there's lots of situations like I don't know going to someone's birthday party in a buffet or something that you might want to do it so I think you can be okay with them or you can decide I feel recovered enough I don't need those things well I just think it's really important to discuss these things because not everyone who recovers from an eating disorder goes to therapy or be treated and looked after so a lot of people have to deal with it kind of on their own like oh I've had this sort of thing that I didn't tell anyone about And I think it's really important to talk about like normalizing it even and just saying, okay, it's all normal and it's all fine. And you're not weird. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't say it's fine in the context of it having a massive impact on your life, but I would say it's normal or I, the word I use is understandable. And I think once you can understand where it came from, there's not just one cause, but if you can start to see some strands and it makes sense to you. You can almost let go of that shame because you're like, oh, it's not that something's wrong with me. It's actually, look, this is what's happened. Here's where I am now. Now I know that. Now I can change those beliefs and move forward. So, yeah, I would say it's definitely understandable, like kind of normal, in inverted commas. Why do you think there's so much shame associated with this particular, what would you call it? Was it a mental illness? I think you can call it what you want. I guess on social media now, it seems that people are talking about more about mental health, which seems a little bit more palatable. I think it does seem difficult to say, I have a mental illness. I think people worry. I know I did. I was thinking, how is this going to affect my future prospects? What will other people think about me? Having had this, actually, it's a benefit to me. Now I've managed to reframe it that I can understand what clients are going through. Obviously, we'll have different experiences, but some will be similar. So it can be a strength. And I think often, like I say, when people don't understand what's happened to them and they are thinking like, I'm broken, there's something wrong with me, that can carry a lot of shame. And then also, I think there's this fear that if you do talk about it, someone's going to take it away from you, whether that's the restricting and your way to control your weight. Why would you let someone help you? I'll say help because sometimes at the time you don't feel like it's help and they're saying, going to help you we want to help you and we're thinking no get as far away from me as possible (laughs) or in terms of binge eating where you would eat a large quantity of food in a short amount of time and they kind of say like oh I need this to get through my day like this is what helps me zone out or this is my reward so I think there's a whole lot of reasons and I'm really glad that we're talking about it now to make it like you say more normal you must treat people of all ages and I wonder if the younger generations have a different attitude to these things because I do remember at school, if somebody had an eating disorder or was showing signs of an eating disorder, it wouldn't be something that would uh, that would get sympathy. It would be something that you might, again, be shamed for or be almost bullied for and or avoided at all costs. Like you might, someone else might catch it off you. And I wonder if because of the change in the way people talk about mental health, younger people you're seeing might have different sort of support networks. Interesting question. So now, actually, from this year, I decided to only work with over 18s. Um, But I have previously worked with 16, 17 year olds. I think that is a bit of a change. 
Um, I don't think people are so much stigmatized, but I think when people, like I say, have that internal stigma, like part of an eating disorder often is that someone will isolate themselves. So maybe actually, even if their friend might be there to support them, sometimes it's difficult to reach out and get that support. And I think what I have found with my younger ones is like, they want to be invited to things, but their friends kind of stop inviting them because the friends are worried how the person who's struggling is going to react around food at a party. Or the person struggling has said no so many times that they just stop getting invited. So that's hard to integrate back in. So I guess if someone's listening to this to get information so they could help someone else, I always say just keep inviting people to stuff, keep including them. Sometimes they might be ready to say yes and want to be included again. So kind of keep that door open. That's so lovely. Yeah, there is a definite link between this sort of thing and, and being isolated, which, again, didn't really get spoken about when, when we were younger. Yeah, so it's, I think it's important that we continue to talk about these things. And we said earlier about how we didn't do a mental health episode in season three, but lockdown was really rough. I know a lot of people who have had like disordered eating in the past who found it quite difficult. Um, and obviously we lost Nikki Graham as well, mm-hmm. the uh, Big Brother contestant who had had struggled with think, anorexia. Have you found that there's been a big influx or like people who had been like normalizing have kind of had a difficult time? Has that has lockdown affected that? Yeah, I think in way back to last year when the lockdown kind of came around and I did have kind of a spike of inquiries from people who, like you say, they had been stable and then lockdown happened, which people were getting more isolated. They didn't have their usual support systems. But also I saw people who had just kind of been saying to themselves before lockdown, I'm too busy to get help um, to then reach out and get that support. And then when we kind of had that brief reprieve, didn't we, last year when we thought we were going back to normal, Then I started to see more people who had been doing like an exercise program during lockdown or like they'd been on a new diet and then they realized once stuff opened up, oh my gosh, I can't go and eat at a restaurant with my friends anymore. Like I feel really scared. So they kind of noticed that what they thought was healthy eating has actually become, I'll say disordered, but they've realized the knock-on effect it was having on their life and their mental health usually their seeds before that lockdown which actually were kind of leading them down this way but then lockdown had almost like either fast forwarded it or intensified everything that was going on so I think yeah it was a difficult time for people for like a lot of reasons. I think most people when you say disordered eating or or eating disorder will think oh anorexia, bulimia but they won't think of all the other ways that you can create an unhealthy relationship with food. I know that orthorexia is something that people are talking about a lot at the moment. Can you sort of explain what that is an umbrella for? So orthorexia is not actually an official diagnosis at the moment, which is why sometimes we have all this debate about it. There's still a lot of research going into it, like what is actually the definition, but it means a right or correct way of eating. And people will often restrict what they're eating or avoid certain foods based on how clean they think that is. And I mean, clean in terms of, well, this has got to be organic. And that kind of leads to a whole lot of other problems. Um, if people are like removing whole food groups if they don't have a medical reason obviously if you need to eat gluten-free for health you need to eat gluten-free for health but actually sometimes when people start removing these foods and then they're starting to get nutrient deficiencies or their digestive system isn't working as well as it could and then this actually happened to me then you think now I've got to eat even more clean now I've got to eat even better and you restrict even more 
almost feeling scared of more foods then people start to get these intrusive thoughts about food and it starts to kind of take over where before maybe they just thought okay I'm going to pick a bit of a healthier choice at this restaurant and it becomes like the most important thing people almost lose that flexibility that we usually have to make decisions and then actually this can lead to other eating disorders as well because you might think oh I ate that thing that wasn't clean or wasn't healthy for me and then compensate in some ways so that could be restricting it could be over exercising it could be purging with like laxatives or making yourself sick and so actually it's very easy to go from worrying about your health to actually developing something a lot more serious from that. It's interesting that this is happening now because obviously clean eating and plant-based diets and all that sort of thing have over the last few years become a lot more popular when I was a teenager I think I had a few moments where I was binging and I I had a nosebleed and I looked it up and I was like right if I keep doing this I'm gonna die Mm -hmm. that was kind of the moment where I was like I need to fix this and the way I fixed it was becoming vegetarian and controlling the way that I ate in a completely different way which I felt was healthier and safer and obviously, you know, you then start to heal because I just decided that I was going to go down that direction. But it's interesting that now these things can actually cause, I guess it's obsession with food, isn't it? And that's where you might cross the line. Yeah, I often like kind of caution people about trying to change one eating disorder behavior for another behavior, because that doesn't actually change all your beliefs around the thing. It doesn't change your relationship with your body and these other underlying factors Sometimes like people think, oh, okay, well, instead of having a binge and swallowing it, then I'll chew it and I'll spit it out. I mean, logically you think, oh, okay, well, that might be better for me, but actually people can end up getting acid reflux from it. So it's still not a good idea. As with binge eating, it feels like it's addictive. So I definitely say trying to work on what's underneath is a more helpful approach. Um, but like you say, if you have noticed, it seems to be working for me now if I am vegetarian and at least I can eat more. I wouldn't say it's the quickest path to recovering, but if that feels like the option for you, I would just say make sure that you're getting all the nutrients that you need. I think that's an issue sometimes when people go vegan, they're not eating balanced or, you know, they're missing out things that their body needs and then they might end up binging because of it. And so it's really important to meet your body's needs. So for anyone that doesn't really understand or hasn't really thought or researched eating disorders, can we go like deep deep down like what is it that causes people is there like a layman's terms way that you can kind of explain the triggers in the brain that cause it to happen yeah I think it's different for everyone I guess the way I explain it is almost like um people can be predisposed to get an eating disorder because of genetics we don't actually know specifically what that is yet there's a study going on at the minute which I actually took part in as well that we had to like spit in a test tube and they're going to analyze your saliva and see if there's similarities between people who had developed an eating disorder so there's some genetics there's some personality elements that we often see and it's not to say if you have these things you'll definitely get an eating disorder but it's a risk factor so it makes it more likely so if you're quite a sensitive person and then thinking you're going through your life, all these events are happening to you, you might take on board a bit more than other people. If you're a perfectionist, it's kind of easy to fall into all or nothing, a lot of, get a lot of rules around food. Um, if you're impulsive, then maybe you might be more prone to binge eating. So it's like you've got this egg, which is your genetics and your personality factors that you're carrying through your life. And then things happen in your life, maybe that's bullying or even just your self-worth and your personality overall 
um, that are making you kind of doubt yourself um, it could be a death of a loved one so it's like you can't do life and these little things are cracking your egg they're like tapping on it and almost with the analogy it's like okay once these things have accumulated and happened then your egg breaks it's like when you have the eating disorder but I think that's a nice way to look at it because it shows it's not just one thing it wasn't just that one comment that someone made to you once that might be what stands out in your mind but actually if other things hadn't happened sometimes I also explain it kind of like a snowball from all these life events um that have happened when you're younger to kind of grow their snowball like you know when you're making a, a snowman <laughs> yeah Holly you let, I just want to involve you really um <laughs> you're a vegan I am the famous vegan Holly um how do you make sure that you're getting enough nutrients did it work out at the beginning or were you just like, oh, I need to think more about this? I mean, I, I, um, I took time to research. I mean, I still do take vitamin supplements, but honestly, I uh, used to take like A to Z vitamins even before I was vegan. Um, but I did the research to see what vegan food has high in protein. And when I went vegan in 2017, it wasn't as easy to just get vegan meat. Now it's super easy. Vegan meat is fortified. They fortify everything. But the most interesting thing for me, when I went vegan, I discovered that we fortify all our non-vegan stuff. And we fortify soy milk or oat milk and stuff with extra calcium or B12. Um, so although I do always say to people who are going vegan, pay attention and do it properly because, and a big part of it for me is, even if it's not about what's healthier, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I don't know whether you'd agree with this, Rachel, but part of it is also what you're used to, right? So if you're used to having a certain amount of certain things, and then all of a sudden you're changing, which to somebody else would be completely healthy, and actually maybe you've been having too much of this thing or not enough of this thing, then that's not going to be healthy for you. So I don't know, yeah, I think obviously big changes you have to be really careful that you're just like paying attention to your body but also I personally believe a lot of the fear-mongering that meat eaters say about veganism is a bit silly yeah I like what you said about it's what is healthy for you and I was actually vegan for quite a few years um, and I can't have milk now because of either I changed my mind I'm not vegan anymore um but I think in the context of eating disorder recovery sometimes it's helpful but sometimes it's not helpful because then it's like you're trying to get your life back you're trying to be able to go and eat out with your friends and then maybe there's like one vegan option on the menu and you don't like the option and then it's if you think that's going to be a really big trigger for you in terms of like then going to have a binge or want to restrict even more actually maybe transitioning to being a vegan over a longer period of time is going to be way more helpful and I had someone on uh, my podcast called Just Eat Normally um, and we were talking about is veganism like healthy and eating disorder recovery and the answer was maybe yes maybe no <laughs> depends on you as an individual I guess if you're going vegan for the wrong reasons in inverted commas if you wouldn't eat something even if it's vegan that you would be scared of it or it would be a trigger for you it kind of is suggesting that there's there's more things that you need to work through like being vegan isn't automatically going to help you recover from the eating disorder or being vegetarian or plant-based or whatever there's other things for you to work on whereas if you're like actually no perfectly happy to eat the vegan cake the vegan this that or the other I've just decided for my own ethics or my own reasons that I don't want animal products then that possibly seems like a healthier way I guess it's like 
if you're using it as a way to control every aspect of your eating, then it's never going to be healthy. I didn't go vegan straight away. Mm-hmm. I took seven months and it might be one of the reasons I've stuck with it because I allowed my body to change, my mindset to change. Mm-hmm. And now the very idea of, like, I wouldn't, I will never eat meat again. And part of that is because I went through that long period allowing myself to change. But also one thing that veganism did for me is it made me excited about food. Like I've never been like, it was more of a chore. Like I liked things. I like pizza and pasta and stuff, but generally eating was a chore, but I'm way more likely to be excited to try new things on a menu. And it made me less afraid to try those new things because I wasn't getting freaked out about whether or not there was like, a cow butt in there because I know there isn't going to be well what do you think's in burgers so there's that and then the other thing that was really cool for me was all of a sudden when I was having to check all the ingredients in things it just made me really aware of the stuff that we eat and I'm fine a lot of people think being vegan means being healthy but I'm like no give me all the processed vegan food but I know what I'm eating now and I understand and I understand like why do we put milk in this and why do we oh add gosh. all these extra things milk isn't everything i was so annoyed when i went to the cinema and it was like oh yes this popcorn has milk and i was like what it's just like a sweet and salty popcorn the one thing i would say to become that you're saying about reading the labels and often that can be a trigger as well when you've had an eating disorder i think people can get to the point when actually you can read it it's not a trigger anymore i think if you're in the midst of an eating disorder that can often be quite triggering so like you're saying is actually how can you transition more slowly? You're still getting to your end goal and it's more sustainable when you get there. Like I've also had clients who've cut out meat or cut out dairy and then they end up binging. I can definitely understand that constantly having to like get your phone up to check all this stuff could be like, but I, I think it's just, it was a very interesting thing for me going vegan and, but I still like, so I, I was in an intense filming bubble over the summer filming a TV show and I literally was not even allowed into a Sainsbury's. We obviously got fed on set. And sometimes it was good, but generally the vegan options, 50% of the time were uninspiring. And I, then I'd have to get like delivery or I'd have to order a delivery of food, right? And the local area that I was in just did not have good delivery options. And I'm the only vegan in my band. I found it really upsetting being around that much meat. Because I, my girlfriend's not vegan, but my girlfriend doesn't eat much meat. My housemate cooks in batch. And so it would be like one thing of meat. And okay, I have a cat that I feed meat. Completely different context. That's an obligate carnivore. Can't live without meat. I found it really triggering for me being around so much meat and being around so many people who just didn't give a shit about the ethics of eating meat. And that's not the world I live in. Most of the time they're having meat for breakfast, meat for lunch and meat for dinner. And it, and I can't even imagine how much more triggering that would have been for somebody who actually has gone through an eating disorder and recovery. Because even for me, it was really hard and fucked with my mental health. What I do a lot of clients as well is helping them kind of think, OK, this is what works for me. Other people can do what other people want to do. But actually just knowing, OK, this is what works for me. If that person wants to eat meat for breakfast, lunch and dinner, it's probably not that good for their body, actually. Yeah, maybe it's not that good for the planet. That is another option that they could be taking that's healthier. But maybe 
and having some compassion for them as well maybe they're super stressed in the filming bubble they don't want to have to think about food kind of trying to take their perspective on it a little bit as well sometimes just helps you sit with that a bit easier it's difficult when something as personal as like what you put in your body becomes wrapped up in the ethics well literally like carnism which is eating meat is a violent thing like it just is a living being has to die for it and once you get that into your head and you become ethically vegan like I did it can be quite difficult in some situations to to separate that with something as personal as the right to put in your body what you want to put in your body it's so difficult isn't it this this might open up a barrel of worms but would we say because Holly you're talking about your choice to be vegan and we're talking about something that is essentially I think eating disorders are associated in the first instance with, with people who are privileged disordered eating must happen to everyone whether you have access to all the food you want or access to very little food and I'm just wondering if there's a difference in what you see yeah I think you're right I think that is a stereotype I guess eating disorders when we think about it we usually think of someone who is white who is probably middle class or upper middle class usually a girl who is very thin but like you're right actually eating disorders can happen to anyone any shape any size any skin color religion gender and actually I think there's more research from the US on this but people in food deprived areas actually are like these hmm, don't know how to phrase this properly as the um, actual proper statistic um, but like I guess they have they do have a risk of developing binge eating because of the food scarcity and then in terms of the privilege I suppose that comes in a lot more with being able to buy these wellness foods I think personally, I don't get a representative cross-section because my service is a paid service, Mm. but definitely eating disorders can affect everyone. It makes complete sense, right? Like we're animals, we learn from the context that we existed in. If when we were growing up, you didn't get much food, so when you had it, you just had to eat it all, it makes complete sense that you would grow up to be somebody who found it really difficult to to not kind of take it while it was there and just eat it all yeah this is what I was saying at the beginning I think once you can understand oh makes sense why I would be behaving like this because of my current environment or my past environment and then you can start to look actually how are things different now or how can I make things different now which as Kate said that does come with a certain amount of privilege of being able to do that such a difficult conversation to have isn't it because I think when we think there's nothing I can do about this then our brain isn't going to be resourceful and try and look for ways of things that we can do about it so I guess as someone with privilege I am hopeful for people that that is always something that you could do about it because I think it just sounds really awful to resign yourself to well I've got this eating disorder or this situation and I can't do anything but I can appreciate that is definitely harder for some people than others. Would you be able to potentially share any free services that you know about that people that may not be able to access someone with your expertise might be able to go to? I always recommend in the UK there's a website if you just google BEAT eating disorders that they have outline that you can get in contact with almost like a crisis line it's not 24 7 um, but if you really need that support they've got a lot of information on there Also in terms of resources, if you're at that point that you're kind of thinking, do I have an eating disorder? Do I not have an eating disorder? Do I actually want to change? As we talked about, sometimes it can feel scary. You think someone's going to take it off you. 
Um, I've got a free ebook which kind of helps you balance that and look at okay what are the good bits about this but what are the costs like every time I go on holiday I can't have a nice time because I'm thinking about this eating disorder it kind of walks you through that and to help you find your next steps um, and also kind of as I mentioned like I've got a podcast I think if people like this podcast they will like mine because it is quite chatty as well and we talk to people who have had eating disorders in the past and recovered and sort of what were their turning points and their advice for their younger self and then also experts on different topics to give advice about recovery. With that should we go into our questions about how to support someone that you think may be suffering from some form of disordered eating? First question I don't know if this falls into this category actually what would you say the biggest misconception about eating disorders is? I think we covered that a little bit. I think that eating disorders have a certain look or that you'll know that someone has an eating disorder because they'll lose weight. But actually, sometimes people might gain weight or their weight is exactly the same. And I think a second misconception is that people can like just eat normally. Like you can wake up in the morning and you can make that decision to change and then automatically it will just affect your life and everything will be changed which I think you can make that decision to change. It's a very important part of recovery to make that decision, but it doesn't mean everything is magically going to go back to normal. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think sometimes family and friends want that to happen so much. And even my clients want that to happen so much. I think it's just knowing like, it's not going to, like Holly was saying earlier, actually having that time to transition, to learn the new skills, to make a mistake is like invaluable to keeping you recovered. I guess in terms of helping family and friends, just have that patience with them and knowing it's not an overnight change. This is an open-ended question and something that maybe you can answer with your own experience and also what you've heard from other people. But for someone who's trying to empathise and trying to really understand what this person in their life is going through, what can it actually feel like to have an eating disorder? I guess from my own experience, which I will say everyone with an eating disorder has a different experience, but for me, whether it was I started restricting and then it turned into binge eating and then bulimia, thoughts about food are like the most important thing and they're taking over almost your other priorities you might want to be able to do stuff but it's almost like something is stopping you actually I ended up breaking up with my boyfriend who is now my husband um I, we booked a holiday together and we didn't want to lose the money so we went on after we'd split up and got back together um but it's almost like then I knew that I was choosing the eating disorder and restricting over him and I knew that he wanted to be able to eat out with me and for us to do stuff with his friends but I was just like I just can't and it's not that I didn't love him but it just you often don't make what would seem a logical choice you want to be able to make that logical choice but there's something that is stopping you I'm not sure if you can relate to that Kate. My memories of it I think I was younger I just felt incredibly detached from present I isolated myself I felt attacked when my friends tried to reach out to me but I also felt that a lot of my friends didn't understand and therefore I lost quite a few friendships during that time and I was very ashamed to be around certain people I felt very much like I didn't want them any of those people around me but yeah for me it was a there's something wrong with me and therefore I can't be in my life I have to be separate from my life while this is going on but yeah I just think it's really important to discuss that because you only see what's happening in the outside when there's something going on if you can go oh okay this person is prioritizing this thing because it's it's what's happening right now or this person is lonely and pushing me away but they actually that's part of it 
they're not pushing me away for any other reason than they're not well. I think the other thing is often if people are really restricting, they're basically hangry all the time. I was hangry all the time. <laughs> and also when you're not feeding your brain enough, it's really hard to keep your emotions stable. They're constantly in that prickly state. So things that you can say to them, they probably do take it the wrong way. It's like the Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. If you're not feeding yourself, then you don't have what you don't have the base of that pyramid. So how are you supposed to be acting and reacting to the world? I'm smiling through this because I'm just remembering things that maybe I hadn't associated with being in that state. But I remember there was a period as a teenager where if my mum was 10 minutes late to pick me up from the train station, I would just lose it. You can say, oh, that's just someone being a teenager, but that's also someone who's just every bit it's, it's, it's like being in lockdown you're, you're like this the whole time you know just above water sometimes people say like that they feel selfish because of the eating disorder and no but you're so at capacity with your own stuff and you just don't have it for other people my my argument sometimes when someone says oh this person is being selfish they're a selfish person or lately they are I'm like well they're probably going through something then You've kind of touched on this already, but the first piece of advice you would give to someone who is probably sitting here listening to this thinking, maybe I have some of this going on. Yeah, I think the first thing would be, that's a really big step that you've taken to notice, okay, maybe things aren't okay. Give yourself some credit that you've realized. And then I guess the second piece is um, have a look on the Beat website, or like I said, I've got a free ebook or the podcast and Maybe just hear a bit more about people's stories or what might be going on. And I also say, like, don't wait until it gets worse. Often with eating disorders, people have these thoughts and they're two opposing conflicting thoughts, which keeps people stuck of like, I'm not sick enough. I'm not thin enough or I'm not binging enough, whatever it is. Well, what is enough? There's never going to be sick enough. But then also the other side that we were talking about earlier, like, I'm too broken. There's something wrong with me. I can't get help. So just knowing, even if you relate to a small bit of what we're saying, it's having that impact on your quality of life, then it is worth seeking help, whether that's self-help and looking at resources or help from therapy or your um, GP, whatever that is. Because your life is just going to be so much happier. I mean, that's just good advice for anyone going through mental health issues anyway, you know? Obviously, your podcast and the ebook, that's like specific but that rhetoric about I'm not sick enough or I'm too sick to bother seeking help is so um, just familiar. I remember talking to a friend and when I decided to get CBT for a while, he was like, man, I think that's really cool. I wish I could do that. And I was like, well, you can. I was like, yeah, but I don't like need to need it. So I just would feel like I'd be taking it from somebody who does. And I always thought that was weird. But then for me too, like, if I don't need need something, I won't do it. And we just have it in our head that unless we're literally at the point of, like, suicidal or just constantly, like, in a deep state of depression or the worst possible level of eating disorder, then we don't, quote-unquote, deserve help. And that's so indicative of our society. But it's also, it doesn't make sense stop it before it gets that bad because when it gets that bad it becomes much harder to seek help yeah there's that analogy isn't there like if there's something wrong with your finger you wouldn't wait until your whole arm is like got this massive problem before you actually got help I think you made such a good point as well about that feeling of not deserving 
something that I work with my clients a lot on actually that they don't feel deserving of food they don't feel deserving of people being nice to them they don't feel deserving to buy themselves new clothes or a book or whatever it is just knowing that actually we're all humans that deserve to get help and support it doesn't have to be something that you believe a million percent every day but as long as at the core you remember it I don't know if they're still up but I know that there was a sort of alt community online of, of people encouraging eating disorders. I, I guess now it could get worse because influencer culture is potentially stronger than celebrity culture. But it's also a positive thing because people like you can be vocal online and, and offer support. So it's not really a question. I'm just saying it and I'm, I would like you to respond. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of different. I think that's when people know that they have anorexia maybe they've had that diagnosis and they're showing like dinspo and they use pictures like actively promoting it but I would also say that person is very ill and they 100% believe that that is the truth I know like when I was struggling people would tell me like what you're eating isn't healthy and I would get so angry I just could not see I was so in the box that I just could not see you get this whole new logic from the eating disorder which makes absolutely no sense to anyone else who doesn't have it And then I think that's also this group of people, which I will hold my hand up and say I fell into. I had a health blog for a while. I thought what I was doing was the healthiest thing. Actually, it was promoting disordered eating. Like I could never just make a granola. It had to be like sugar-free granola, gluten-free granola, fat-free granola. It always had to be something or, oh, I'm going to fast until this time in the morning. I think, okay, let's empower people to do what feels good for them, but then as consumers sometimes we try and fit ourselves in someone else's mold I think it is really difficult to know people's intentions with with that kind of thing what advice would you give to family or friends who may have noticed something in one of their loved ones I think we said before about being compassionate um I think learning as much as you can about eating disorders definitely not blaming them trying to take that understanding approach And I think possibly comes back to what we were saying before about the capacity thing. How can you raise your capacity? So take that time to do things for yourself and your own well-being. Because it is really difficult when you see someone struggling and they're just not letting you in. Sometimes even people go to therapy themselves to help them support someone else with an eating disorder. I remember Caitlin Moran speaking about her daughter having an eating disorder and saying the moment she sort of turned around to her and was like, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere and I love you. Her daughter started to open up to her, whereas before she'd been like, why are you doing this to me? You know, I think that that's really, really important to just say, hey, I I see you and I'm here and I don't judge you and I love you. Don't try and minimise people's experiences as well. You know, if your person's opened up about something and they're like, oh, well, it's not that bad. Or sometimes I've had people who say that they've told their family they're binge eating and then their family are like, oh, yeah, sometimes I overeat. And it's like, no, that is not the point of this. Um, So like you say, being there saying, look, I love you. I'm here to support you. Maybe I can't fully understand your experience, but I'm going to try. It's, yeah, just really amazing if you can do that. I feel like that's a really interesting thing that you're saying. We over-rationalize things from people we love as well to make us not as worried about them. But I think that's something that happens a lot with like mental health problems as well. We we just kind of minimize everything in this culture that makes it harder when you finally got the courage to say, actually, it's really bad. Everyone's like, oh, it's not that bad. And also everyone's pain is relative, right? So 
yeah, anyway, <laughs> I was like, how do I segue that into our final few questions? I don't think I can. Um, so we've got a few questions that we ask everybody. Always a surprise. So, so terrifying. Terrifying surprise. The first question is um, the most important question, which is what's your favourite Disney movie? That's okay. I thought that's my favourite food and I can never think of it. My favourite Disney movie. <laughs> um, I really like Mulan. Ah, yeah. Why? I like the songs in it. I think it's underrated. It's like an inspirational story. I like the follow-up movies as well. I've made my husband watch them with me because he hadn't seen them. <laughs> my favourite moment in all of Mulan is when the panda is turned into a horse and they're giving him urgent news from the general and the scene carries on. And in the background, this panda just disappears. Of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> We've always asked this question to people because actually our first mental health episode ever with the lovely Sam Elson, she told us that the way that she copes when she's having a difficult time is dogs and Disney movies. And so we ask that question to every single person. So yeah, you win. You win with Mulan, I think. (laughs) The next question do you consider yourself an activist and when if ever do you turn off that activism I don't I think this is something that maybe I'm getting more comfortable with I don't know like I used to be like I hate politics I used to be that person who would vote for who my parents voted for just because it was easiest and I didn't have to get involved because I suppose like you were saying Holly with the veganism thing sometimes I think if you care about it then it almost gets overwhelming Sometimes I do find it difficult if I really care about something to let go of that, like you said, when do you switch it off? So I think I'm getting a bit more into that or even like feminism. I didn't used to know what that actually was, but then I suddenly realised, oh my God, I'm a feminist. So I think I'm slowly coming out of my shell a little bit on stuff like this. I'm definitely passionate about talking about eating disorders. So maybe I am, but I'm not ready to step into it quite yet. It's an interesting one with what you do, because as someone who can also potentially recognize symptoms or behaviors in people. I mean, you must meet people for the first time or know people and just be sat there at at the dinner table going, something going on there. Do you know what? I don't. (laughs) Really? I don't because it's really funny. Like I was watching Lucifer. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. And that psychologist in that is always going around analysing people all the time. And I'm thinking, I just don't do that. I think maybe I have more empathy for people or I could think about, oh, maybe that's why they're doing what they're doing. But when I'm at work, I'm at work. And also in terms of like the eating disorder thing or people's diet, I just think if that's what they want to do now, that's what they want to do. I think if I saw someone, my friend, that I thought she is really struggling, I would say something if it's like my parents or my sisters deciding to go on another different diet and they know I don't agree with it but I just let them get on with it because I'm like it's their life I think that's really healthy though I would imagine that if you're you know working psychology in some way it would be really easy to be working all the time because you're always around people and you do have to switch it off because it's exhausting I think I'm almost big-headed to do that in a way because I see with my clients like there's so many reasons why someone might do what they're doing and so much to their backstory I couldn't possibly know just from seeing them it's such an amateur vibe to think that you know the answers as well like even with all these anti-vaxxers and it's like sorry where's your PhD in virology everybody has a bloody opinion Honestly, I blame people like Michael Gove saying, I think we've had enough of experts. Like everybody thinks their opinion is as valid as everybody else's. It kind of makes sense to me that you're like, 
I don't go around identifying everybody's like disorders and stuff because it's literally what I get paid for. Whereas the rest of us who don't really know what goes on, we can be like, oh, I'm seeing some hints of this here. It just It's so Amdram, man. It's so Amdram. It really gets my goat. On that note, obviously, this has been a, it's been a lovely chat, actually. But also, it's been a chat about something that's quite serious. And so we always like, at the very, very end, to say, can you give us a little bit of sunshine? Just to send our listeners on their merry way, feeling like it's all going to be jolly good yeah like I think I laugh or make a joke about something like every single session with my clients one that is coming to mind is once you're laughing about emotions like accepting them and then letting them go because I've seen a video on Facebook of a granddad dressing up as like Elsa because his granddaughter couldn't go to Disney because of the pandemic he had like dressed up um and so we were laughing about oh yeah next time you need to let it go you should make your dad dress up as like Elsa and walk around the dining room like (laughs) let it go but the thing is even if next time she is getting stressed out and then she just thinks about that conversation help lift your mood a little bit so I suppose it's not really funny for everyone else but the point is like (laughs) I think it's funny the point is therapy is not all serious doom and gloom yes there are very serious bits yes maybe you're gonna have to answer deep questions that part of you would rather you didn't but actually you can have a really good relationship with your therapist can be a pleasant experience overall holly do the plug song plugs 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 there you go that's the new one um would you like to uh give us your plug so you are, <laughs> you are have a ebook right and a podcast mm-hmm. that feels like something that you should definitely be plugging I've never had a song to introduce it before so that's good I like your song I was going for the kind of like atonal vibe today so it's, we do a different plug song every time this was a particularly bad one um I think you mean badass Oh yeah, so if you want to find out more about how to work with me one-to-one, um, my website is eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk and if you go on that on the homepage is where you can download the free ebook. I want to work with people who want to work with me and I really enjoy working with, so it's always like an application process to work with me so that we can make sure that we are a good fit for each other and we can get you really great results. Occasionally I do workshops when I'm inspired. If you follow me on social media which is rachel.evans.phd you'll kind of get notifications of when let's get our phones up let's get our phones up and follow you on the social medias i'm already following you well some of us aren't as quick (laughs) holly are you gonna plug something um we are on uh twitter at diversify pod and on instagram at diversify podcast i am Kate, Lois, Elliot, how many L's, how many T's, Holly? Two L's, two T's. Across all social media orifices. Ooh. That wasn't right. That got weird. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's it. We did it. Cool. I've gone red because I've got myself into a tizzy. Ta-da!